Hey everyone, this is Sam, That Girl with the Curls, coming to you with another excellent episode of uh, the podcast, if I do say it myself, and I do. Uh, this is episode 27, uh, all about The Librarians, which is a, is a show, and maybe will continue to be a show on TNT, uh, based off the the three TV movies that were done uh, over the course of the last about 10 years, I think. Don't quote me on that, I'm roughly guesstimating. So, uh, and uh in this episode, I talked to talk with Nathan Laws, who is a friend I met through being on Shawncastic, which is another podcast you should be checking out too. Uh, I frequently guest there and talk comics and television and movies from time to time, so uh, you can always catch me there, uh, you know, on a frequent basis, sort of. But uh, yeah, so that's where I, I knew Nathan from, and we just uh, we wanted to talk about the librarians because we both really like the show and we like the characters and the premise at least and uh, we just wanted to kind of get into it. So yeah, this is that episode, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, just uh, for the top of the episode, you can always go to maniacalgeek.com, where all my writings are uh, about various things that come into my head. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at darling underscore Sammy, S-A-M-M-Y, and you can also go to SoundCloud to find new episodes of That Girl with the Curls, or go to the website and the Facebook page. Uh, so there's always ways to listen and read and, and learn and new things, and I'm gonna shut up now, okay? Uh, hope you enjoy the episode, uh, hope you liked Librarians, or at least this will get you interested in watching it, and hopefully a, si a second season is, is coming down the pipe. So, uh, yeah, have a good one and enjoy the show. Welcome to That Girl with the Curls podcast. It's your first time on here, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it's my first time. Thank you for having me, Sam. Yes, and uh, Nathan and I uh, really wanted to talk about The Librarians, which uh, yes. TV show on, uh, on TNT uh, created by Dean Devlin and John Rogers, who also did um, uh, Leverage. And I think they were both behind the movies as well, right? Um, that I'm not sure of, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's right. Yeah, we'll just say it's right, and <laughs> people can, you know, tell us whatever later. <laughs> so, The Librarians is actually um, based off of three movies that TNT did as well. So, you had The Librarian, which uh, stars Noah Wiley as Flynn Carson, the uh, the man who becomes the librarian uh, through the New York Public Library. And, uh, is the public... As you do. Yes, as, as one does. And <laughs> turns out that the librarian, singular title, uh, means that you're in charge of, like, finding magical objects and <laughs> storing them. <laughs> it's like Indiana Jones meets Indiana Jones, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's such a weird thing, because I know a lot of people were turned off by just the commercials, and they're like, oh, it just looked like a poor man's Indiana Jones. But it's so different because it's so quirky. Yeah, I mean, because you watch the the 
the three movies before the show started, right? Right. Yes, I did. Yeah, and and I saw. I remember watching the movies as they came out because I I've kind of been in love with Noah Wiley since ER. <laughs> so anything he was in, I was like, okay, I'll watch it. Right. Um, and the first one I still have on DVD because I I just really enjoyed it. It was cute, fun for what it was, and actually I I thought the story was pretty decent. Um, and you, you gotta love anything that includes Jane Curtin as well as Bob Newhart. Well, yeah, and Bob Newhart as, like, an ex-Navy SEAL <laughs> and then ends up, like, opening a can of whoop-ass with all the bad guys. That was great. Oh, my God. Like, especially at the end where they actually have him, like, quote-unquote kicking ass, where it's just, like, these quick cuts away from Bob Newhart reaching out for someone and then them flying across the room, like, a la A-Team. <laughs> Because <laughs> the man's not going to do stunts at his age. <laughs> but, uh, so that movie was actually, was pretty well received. Yeah, it was, a lot of people called it, like, a quirky, goofy, funny, like, knockoff Indiana Jones. Um, and then they did two other movies, so there was, like, a, uh, Solomon's Mines, I think, is the second yes. one. Which, not as good, not as great. I, I, I found that one to be really boring yeah and, uh, his chemistry with uh, i'm gonna call her fiona because that's how i know her from bird notice yeah her real name i think it's like but a gabrielle and chemistry and, and, i mean that was the thing that my wife and i because we watched it together uh really felt was like his chemistry with the first um guardian that he had the guardian that he had in the mm-hmm. first movie was really good we really liked the interplay between them of this tough woman and this guy who's just like this nerdy bookworm yeah and his his relationship with the, the leading lady in that second movie just wasn't as good and it felt like they were just kind of trying to hit the same beats as the first one like oh like you know you liked the librarian we'll give you the librarian again and just change a few things around yeah and, it, there was also this like we want to do like um Casablanca. Right. Yeah. I mean they they essentially rip off the end and everything. Yes. But it's like the whole movie is like trying to lead up to this like weird Casablanca thing and it's just like I don't know how much this is working guys. <laughs> but well, and the whole idea that uh, I mean it took too long that ending scene where like the guy was trying to open up the time portal. Mm-hmm. You know, and like his indecision about you know, first of all, like the guy wanted to open up the time portal so that he could get his mom. Yeah. So, you know, so it's like, well, dude, you got to stop him anyway because he's going to, like, unmake you. you know? <laughs> so even though he also said, like, oh, well, you know, if you, this time portal opens, you could also save your father. It's like, well, either way, if he ends up getting with your mom, then yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, he's going to unmake you. You should just move. And it was like, ten, it felt to me like it was like a half an hour of just Flynn looking undecided as the guy's, like, reading the spell. And I'm like, God, this is dragging on. It's like, do something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I know I'm tearing that one apart, but I just didn't really care for the second one at all. And I was kind of worried, uh, uh, you know, going into the next one. But, yeah, well, yeah. and the third one uh, definitely feels on par with the first one. Like, I, I yes. loved uh, Stana Kadic as this French vampire. Uh, she She's awesome in Castle anyway, but I really liked her in this role, too. Uh, and, and, yeah, it just felt like a, a better adventure, I guess. Um, yeah, I kind of guessed the twist on you know, who the professor guy was, mm-hmm. but even so, I liked that they had that twist in there, because, 
the movie does seem to be doing one thing and then it does something completely different so yeah it, I, and I, I even that ending is kind of like you get a little teary-eyed because you're like he, yeah. he found another woman that he loves and now she's getting <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, and i definitely liked his chemistry with her a lot better um, oh yeah that G- uh, gabrielle anwar is the name of the woman from the second mm-hmm. movie <laughs> i got it late but yes better late than ever she she's a weird like it's weird because when I would watch Burn Notice she does a weird thing with her mouth like I don't know if it's how it just rests or whatever but <laughs> it's really hard for me like my mom had the same problem with um, the guy who plays Michael Weston in Burn Notice she does not like his the way his mouth rests so <laughs> neither was neither of us could really sit through Burn Notice. Oh really? Oh okay. Well, that's a that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, but... I guess. Well, then we'll then we'll do the Burn Notice podcast. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell, thank yes. you. Oh my god, I blanked on Bruce Campbell's name. But yeah, it's got Bruce Campbell. Let so, no yeah. one know we blanked on that thing. God forbid <laughs> if we were recording this. <laughs> right. You can always edit it out later. I edit nothing. <laughs> That's a lie. I do edit, but whatever. <laughs> but, but, uh. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, so Bruce Campbell, you know, also yeah. topical for the librarian. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to Bruce, yes. Um, but yeah, so the, I mean, the librarian movies, the three of them were fairly well received, especially the, the first and the third one, I, I think, and from what I can gather. Um, and so it was probably about, I don't know, it's been a few years since the third one, uh, came out. It's 2008. Yep. Several years, in fact. Um, so now it's a TV show called The Librarians, which, uh, we see Flynn back as, uh, uh, you know, Noah Wiley back as Flynn Carson. Uh, but this time he's also a producer, and he's working on Falling Skies also for TNT. So uh, this whole premise now is that the library is, gets under attack, and the potential librarians that were not chosen but invited the same time Flynn was uh, are now going to be taking over while Flynn is out looking for the library um, that's disappeared because of dimensional reasons. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... That whole premise, like, I was laughing with my wife about it, because I'm like, did, did they watch Buffy, you know, activating <laughs> the potential, you know, slayers, you know? Oh my god, like, yeah. Activate the potential librarians, too, okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, it's a very, it's like, you have to be very on board with this premise, like, you have to be, I think, very much a fan of the librarian movies, first and foremost, or at least have a knowledge of them, because yeah. the show itself, I think... I, I don't know, like, it starts off, like, fairly strong in the two pilot episodes, or I guess the pilot, um, but there, there's a there's a few things that are just kind of trippy about it, where it's like, you have to set up this premise that's going to last 13 episodes, and it feels like throughout the entirety of those 13, it, it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Um, well, it's not even 13, it's 10. Is it 10? Oh. It's 10. It, it felt like, like 13. It, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like <laughs> the same, like this the Falling Sky seasons where it's only like 10 episodes. And, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that kind of weirded me out because, you know, I mean, I know Noah Wiley's busy on Falling Skies, but I'm like, that's only a 10 episode season and this isn't only a 10 episode season. So why can he only be in some episodes of like, you know, you put those together, that's like a full TV season. Exactly. So it's like, shouldn't he have had time to do this show and that show too? But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who can? Well, the thing is, we get Christian Kane back in some capacity on television. <laughs> Who my wife 
that I refer to as evil hand. Oh, God. Yes, Lindsay. <laughs> Poor Lindsay. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, so with this whole premise of the library the library uh, disappearing and Flynn having to go and find it, it um, opens the door for these three potentials who are Jacob Stone, played by Christian Kane, who people will know uh, formally as Elliot from Leverage, as well as Lindsay from Angel. <laughs> we also have, uh, was it, Rebecca Romaine playing Eve Baird, who is this uh, army, uh, I guess, army colonel or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so basically oh, she... Navy SEAL, according to Wikipedia. Navy SEAL. Okay. I've obviously been doing my research. <laughs> <laughs> I care not. Um, and we should... Uh, I should all say uh, Jake Stone, uh, Christian Kane's character, is like an Oklahoma boy who works on oil rigs, but uh, secretly publishes books uh, uh, for art history under a, a nom de plume. Um and then uh, we have John Kim as Ezekiel Jones, which is probably my favorite name. <laughs> I just love that most of the time when they refer to him, it's by his full name. Right. It's like, it's always well, Ezekiel Jones. Well, and even when Flynn sees the name, he's like, Ezekiel Jones! <laughs> like, everyone should know who that is. It's like, yes, Ezekiel! All right. And uh, and John Kim is a, an Asian Australian, so it's... Right. It's so cool. And he's a, a master thief, uh, tech guy kind of thing. And then we have uh, Lindy Booth playing uh, Cassandra Killian, who is a, has synesthesia and uh, also has a grape tumor in her brain that kind of enhances that. <laughs> uh, you should probably explain the term grape tumor. People who haven't seen the show will have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. Uh, so when the, we find out that um, uh, Cassandra has a, a tumor that kind of enhances her synesthesia and could ev will eventually one day kill her if it's not taken out, which it can't be, um, not through conventional means at least, uh, they basically start referring to it as the grape tumor because that's how she describes like how big it is. So uh, in the brain grape. yeah <laughs> brain grape. <laughs> so every time uh, and they only really refer to it uh, they refer to it a few times in the pilot once in the episode following and I think like one other time towards the end of the season. Uh, but whenever they bring it up, it's always like brain grape. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of adorable, but. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, and then we have uh, the wonderful John Larroquette, hilarious John Larroquette, uh, playing Jenkins, who is the, um, basically the attendant of the annex of the library. Oh, that's the, the genius, because I mean, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Bob Newhart's getting on in years, so, yeah. uh, you know, he only had a very, very small role in the very first episode, mm -hmm. but... As, as an act to follow Bob Newhart, the genius of someone pulling in John Larroquette, who's a name that's kind of, like, fallen out, you know, for the last, you know, 15 years or so. You know, yeah, I haven't he, really heard much about John Larroquette. He turns up in things from time to time. Uh, I, I did a, a, a post recently on my on the website uh, that was just, like, a bunch of clips of John Larroquette and various things. And, yeah, it's just, like, Night Court. And then, you know, I know there was the John Larroquette show and everything. But then after that, like, he pops up sporadically, and you're just like, oh, it's John Larroquette. Right. <laughs> Thank God you're here, sir. Right. <laughs> you know, he did, like, some schlocky movies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the 90s. Uh, there was one that he did, like, with the guy that played Balky from uh, Perfect Strangers. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, I, uh, I saw clips of that on YouTube. I was like, I don't even know what this is. 
<laughs> I saw it at the time just because of how much I love John Larkat, but mm-hmm. I can't. I can barely remember it now. But uh, but yeah, then having the villain. Oh the, yes, the arch villain being played by Matt Frewer. Oh, I love Matt Frewer. <laughs> giving giving a tour de force performance. You know, I know Matt Frewer as like the sort of like you know shady. You know, he pops up as sort of this creepy. You know, kind of semi comedy villain in mm-hmm. a lot of things, right? Or if you and, watched, um, was it uh, uh, Eureka, where he plays a like a hunter, basically, like this genius animal hunter? <laughs> and, and just to have him here, like, playing, like, at first I thought they were going with he's like a Nazi or something, mm-hmm. but, you know, and, and, but just the, the whole thing that, you know, the, 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 and the interaction between them when they actually meet, you know, John Larkat, Matt Frewer. And oh my god, that was like the... Just, just wonderful, just wonderful acting and, and everything, and, and you can really believe that these are these two ancient, you know, guys that have been doing this for so long, and 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 uh, just love the the interaction there. Yeah, so there's going to be a huge spoiler alert for the librarians because it's been it's been out for a while now, and the, the last you know episodes have aired, so we're going to probably talk about some spoilers, people. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, when, when Duloc, who is Matt Frewer's character, and Jenkins, uh, John Larroquette, have that first, like, real scene together, um, I think it's in, like, the fourth episode, uh, and it's just, like, this, they elevated everything. It's like, I just want to watch a show about these two. Right, I know. That's where it really, like, kind of shifted to me that, you know, at first I thought Jenkins was, like, a a side character. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually the fifth episode, but I'm looking at the list on Wikipedia now, the the Apple Discord. Ah, yes. But, um, you know, but it's it's in that episode where all of a sudden you realize Jenkins is a lot more important than we thought he was. And not only that, he's, like, some sort of, you know, potentially, you know, immortal being or something because he's been around... Uh, you know, a long time, and uh, that that was, and, and I thought that that was really cool. Exactly, yeah, because even when the in the librarian movies, we got these like, I mean, they weren't subtle hints, but they were hints that you know Judson at least uh, was a lot older than he was uh, letting on. Uh, that, I mean, he had a mastery of magic to a certain degree as well. So th- there's always been kind of something about the people who are the caretakers of the library that there's there's more going on and that they've been around for for quite a bit. And and so with Duloc and Jenkins, we really we finally get kind of an answer to that in that we very uh, at the end of the episode and they've been dropping hints about different things that. Uh, f- um, is it Duloc is actually Lancelot, uh, Lance Duloc. <laughs> uh, so I know, and uh, Jenkins is Galahad. Um, yes, and, and it's so funny because I had just read, um, 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 uh, uh, God, um, Lamort Duarte, um, Lamort uh, Duarte. Uh, no, not Lamort Arthur. Um, oh. I, I had already read Idols of the King before, like years and years ago, like when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, talking about the Th White one, it's uh, the one from Future King. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, that was I'm gonna sorry. pop out next. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm so sorry. I had just read the Once in Future King, like I don't know, like nine months ago or something. Mm-hmm. And um, and 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 the symbolism of having Lancelot, who does not get a death scene. You know, but yeah. is really the reason that Camelot falls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to to have turned into this twisted, 
you know, semi-evil character, because, you know, I mean, he believes that bringing magic back into the world is actually a good thing and whatnot, but to to have fallen, you know, so far, and for Galahad, the guy who actually got to the Grail, mm-hmm. you know, being Jenkins, this guy who's almost become a recluse, though, because he's seen, like, what, you know, uh, uh, you know how magic twists people and how, um, you know, pe- you know how, thing- how the, the physical world, you know, and the temptations and the, you know, how they corrupt people and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so to me, it actually makes a kind of nice symbology uh, between, like, you know, the, the Arthurian legend and, and how they've depicted what would happen to those characters had they become, like, ageless and just lived on to our time. Well, and, and, and it's really interesting that they have lived on for some, like, like, what was it about Camelot that made all of them keep living because there's been some theories that judson is uh is arthur perhaps or maybe he could be merlin something uh, you know yeah my theory once i found out who they were is that uh, judson might be Merlin because they implied that judson is from like the very beginning of the library in one of the movies mm-hmm. and so i was thinking well who was an ageless character even in camelot well merlin you know so yeah. that that's kind of my theory on that yeah, and with the yeah, because uh, even from the beginning with the first librarian uh, movie, the sword Excalibur uh, became kind of a thing that was like if uh, Flynn wanted to prove himself, he had to almost be worthy of Excalibur. So, and and it's featured in uh, I think in the painting. No, he's got the the spear. Never mind. Um, in that painting of him at the end. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I have to say that I always found how Excalibur was depicted in the movies and then in the pilot to be really, really silly and kind of like the dumb part of the library until that end. Mm-hmm. You know, the scene in the second episode where it actually, you know, uh, again, spoilers, gets destroyed. No. And it, like, has this moment with it. You know? <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is so sad. I know. Excalibur. It's his best friend, which is saying something when your best friend's a sword. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I depicted it like it was like a puppy, though. You know the way like it interacted and stuff. It was like his like friend slash you know like pet. Because <laughs> I I liked how I yeah in the in the movies where it was almost like the sword was just this uh, in a, this animated object now that he would spar with or whatever. Because you know Flynn just knows everything because uh, he's read so many damn books and has so many degrees. So of course he knows how to fence with you know one of the greatest swords of all time. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that in the pilot, yeah, he got more of a dog aspect, which was weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, why is the sword acting like a dog? <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> That's like that moose acting like a dog in um, uh, Frozen or the reindeer. <laughs> it's like, I do not understand making things into dogs unless it is a dog. <laughs> but uh, But yeah, so... There's always been this, like, Arthurian mythology hanging over the library, and so we really, like, throughout some of the episodes, hints were dropped. Um, we met Morgan Le Fay in one of the, in, in The Power of Three. Uh, yeah, in The Rule of Three, sorry. Had a charmed moment there. <laughs> are, are you crossing over your, your different... <laughs> I'm crossing all the streams of fandoms and so... Uh, yeah, so we meet we met L- Morgan Le Fay uh, in uh, what the Apple of Discord. Duloc basically was called the Son of Ban or, or Ban or whatever. Uh, so, like, all these things. And it culminates in the, the Loom of Fate and uh, a young Duloc played by Rebecca Romaine's real-life husband, uh, Jerry O'Connell, uh, fencing, or basically sword fighting with uh, with Jenkins, who doesn't age at all. He's just just John Larroquette oh being badass. married to Jerry O'Connell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I had no idea. I did wonder. I was like, what the heck? Why did they pull the guy from 
sliders. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's another face that hasn't been seen, you know, for a long, long time. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, they got they got married. All, they have, like, twins and shit, so. Oh, okay. Yep. That, yeah, when he showed up, I was like, oh, I, I, now I know why he's here. <laughs> <laughs> that was a cute little cameo for the all of, like, five minutes he was there. <laughs> so. That's a crazy alternate reality. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> Like, and Jerry O'Connell as young Lancelot. (laughs) Younger Lancelot, I don't know. Oh my goodness. But, uh, but yeah, and and it's like it all culminates in that, and the Loom of Fate, and then the library being returned in, like, the most, you know, quickly realized haphazard way. (laughs) The only thing I don't like about that last episode is I felt like we should have gotten, um, you know, a few minutes, you know, with, you know, Judson and, um, uh, I forgot the name of the other, you know, the woman, the... Eve? <sighs> the, uh, no, uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, Jane, uh, yeah, Jane Curtin's character. Uh, yeah, Jane Curtin's character, whose name escapes me for some reason. I think um, it's, like, Charlene? Charlene, yeah. thank you, <laughs> yes. I'm, hor- I'm horrible with people. I, I just reference other shows they've been in. I forget their name. <laughs> I just crossed streams with Charmed, okay, so... Uh, right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I felt like, you know, we should have at least had a minute with, like, because even though Judson's dead, you know, he can appear in, like, mirrors or whatever. So mm-hmm. I thought that they should have at least given them some time, you know, just to, to maybe say a farewell, you know, a true farewell. Yeah. Which we didn't really have with those characters, because if there is a second season, I'm sure we're not going to have... Uh, them around because it looks like it looks like they're actually potentially trying to spin off two different shows from this how it ends yeah it's, because we've got the three of them where it's like well Eve doesn't need to be your guardian anymore you can sort of guard each other and the three of the potential librarians together are like well you know you fill in each other's gaps mm-hmm. you know they're going off one way and then Flynn and Eve are going another way which seems yeah it's it's a very strange ending uh, to the to the season yeah so. And it's clearly meant to be both a season and a series ender if if they don't get picked up. So if they do get picked up for a second season, like, how are you going to do this then? Because the whole the whole point of the librarian's show at this point was to get the library back, you know, to give Flynn a reason to not be there the whole time. And so when you bring the library back in, again, it was like really rushed. Like that, I feel like the last episode should have been the two hours instead of another episode, and then the finale, which was just a regular length. And that's what I thought when that last, then they're saying it's going to be two hour, you know, that evening. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be one two hour long story. So I was like, oh, okay, so they're bookends. Yeah. You get a two-parter at the beginning of the season, a two-parter at the end of the season. And then I was surprised that the first episode had nothing to do with the second episode because that whole idea of alternate realities where each of them had become the librarian mm-hmm. was, was cool enough that you could have explored that Oh in a yeah. longer period of time. Um, they could have spent still... way more time in each of those realities. Like, you know, uh, with you know, Jake becomes like this super bad. I mean, he basically <laughs> becomes Elliot with an art degree. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> Instead of a cook, he's he's got an art history background. <laughs> um, I love that. I mean, it was it was still cool to watch Christian King get to competently fight. Um right. Then, like, what uh, Ezekiel's timeline is more tech-savvy, uh, you know, just how they utilize the library. And then uh, Cassandra's is all magic-based, and she's this, like, almost uh, sorceress-type um, person in the, was it Lamia or Lamia? Yeah, yeah Lamia. Uh, she's her guardian, basically. Uh, well, I know, and that character, who was somewhat interesting in the earlier episodes of the season... 
suddenly just became an offhand, well, we kill her off at the beginning of the episode thing. Like, she's got, like, 30 seconds of screen time. Yeah. And then she appears again very briefly in the alternate timeline, and it's like, if we're going to kill her off, I would have liked to have given her a little bit more, you know, of a meaty role, too, because I, I was kind of interested. Because, like, in the Santa Claus episode, which we haven't really talked about yet, yeah. <laughs> Santa kind of implied that she, you know, that there was more to her than just this, you know, evil person that was following Duloc. And so I would have liked to have known a little bit more about her and, and you know, just gotten more out of that. But, and you know, it's, it was rushed, like you said. Yeah, and it almost feels like if they had given the, if they had opened it up for her to still be alive instead of, like, being killed or something. Because, yeah, she's she's still dead by the end of the um, the finale, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So she's dead. It's almost like the way they set things up that you could have brought Lamia, uh, Lamia in to be the guardian to the other three. Uh-huh. You know, like they're they're going to they're clearly not going to like leave each other alone. They all want to go off and do kind of stuff together. Right. Cuz they've gotten used to each other. Um, so it would be like, well, they're going to probably need someone who can fight and she seems to be the most competent person. Uh so it, again, it'll be interesting like when they if and if they get um, a second season, uh, how they handle this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to alternate like Flynn episodes and episodes with the other three. Well, that would be interesting, yeah. And then maybe just like for like a you know a finale or for an opening of the season, have them all together. Um, that's that's the only way I can figure with the way that it ended of them continuing it. Like, oh well, you know, the, we'll follow their adventures sometimes, and we'll follow Flynn's the other time, and that would also probably allow them to do a longer season, mm-hmm. um, and, but yet not have to pay everyone for you know appearing in the whole season. So <laughs> you guys don't have to be in every episode. No, clearly it works out in everyone's favor. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you scowling at me like that? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of like a, a, a rough picture of uh, the the season as a whole. So, I mean, we have the ten episodes, and I, I really don't want to do like a play by play of each episode. Um, but Nathan, do you have like a, a favorite and a not so favorite one? Um. Oh, as far as episodes, yeah, I was going to talk more about some more some thematic type stuff. Okay, um, we'll go in, but, yeah, do that. Okay, yeah, because I mean, or, or more just overarching sort of things, like, um, one of the things that I like about the whole librarian universe mm-hmm. is the is the whole idea of, you know, to be a great, you know, to, to, to be like this person that could go off in adventures, you just have to know a lot of stuff, yeah. right? You know, just, you just need to be intelligent, you know, and to have, and have some wits, you know? And, and it's been a through th- uh, line since the, the very first movie of Flynn is this guy who's got like 20 PhDs or 25, I can't even remember anymore what the number is, but it's a ridiculous so number many. of PhDs. And he's just sat around his whole life and not used anything. And once he was pushed and prodded on these adventures... It turned out that, you know, all the practical things that you could do with all that crazy knowledge. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of us who, you know, are into geeky things and whatnot, we sort of do accumulate these sort of like jack of all trades, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, we know a lot of uh, trivia and we know a lot of just weird facts and things. It's mm-hmm. just kind of a nice 
thing to have this show where it's like, look, you know, all this useless trivia and all this stuff that, you know, you think you're never going to use, this could be, like, what makes you, like, uh, like a special person, you know, or whatever. And, and, I, and I really like that. I don't think I've ever seen a series that uh, makes that so much of a... Of a of a thing where it's like that is what all the main characters are. That's not just like oh well, here's the one guy on our team is like that. Yeah, you know? and uh, and so I like that. I, I like the whole um, that whole sort of ethic on it. Um, and also and- the the fact that in you know from the first movie, the first movie especially, and they kind of pick it up in the the pilot a little bit with Flynn is that you know being a student and having this intelligence has been his retreat uh, for most of his life. Like he uh, he he doesn't go out into the real world because he likes the world of books and, and that's where he feels the most comfortable and everything. And uh, even when he's stabbed by Excalibur because it gets turned evil, you know, like you do, um, <laughs> in the pilot, uh, he his retreat when he figures out, when he thinks that there's just no saving himself is to just go through his books, you know, go through the books in the annex and that's that's how he copes with things. Um, I think it's a very interesting kind of like back and forth between the uh, introvert and the extrovert sort of, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that. And it was kind of, it was really fun to explore that in, in the, in the, in the, you know, in, in the various episodes of movies that touched on it, because like, I don't know if you remember going back to the first one, but like the whole thing where it's like his mom keeps on trying to set him up with people. Oh yeah. And as soon as they find out that he's just like a professional student that just lives in his mom's house, it's like the reaction. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, it was like a groundbreaking film because now most of us are living back with our parents. <laughs> Reading our books and going, someday, someday. <laughs> Not me, of course, but. <laughs> wow. Uh, and we should, I, I should say that uh, um, Flynn's mother was played by the late uh, Olympia Dukakis, who was really fantastic as his mom. Um, I liked her a lot. Yes. <laughs> So, and and it's kind of unfortunate that you know with the um, the pilot kind of saying like okay Judson's sort of dead ish, um, but his mother's also passed. And it's like oh that's right <laughs> she died. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, w- were there other themes that you you saw throughout the season? Well, yeah, um, there's the relationship between Jake and Cassandra too. Was oh my god, I want that so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like shipping it from that third episode on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, that's that's one of the things that I know my wife is really glommed on to really strong, mm-hmm. and I kind of like it because it's like he doesn't trust her because she does uh, betray them mm-hmm. in the second episode, and uh, or the second part of the pilot, whichever way you want to look at it, mm-hmm. and... Um, it, but she's clearly got, like, a crush on him, and, like, in the episode where um, it's the, the, the Tesla... Town, oh yeah, yeah. Where he and the mayor there are having their moments, and you can tell she's giving kind of looks that she's, you know, she's not particularly happy with that development going on there. And it's just she's such a cute character. Oh yeah, you know? And I like that they give like they try to represent like how she experiences things by showing the stuff like as she's thinking and all the, the oh, like the things that the, like the things that she's seeing the visualization of her synesthesia, synesthesia is amazing like it's one of my favorite effects in the entire series um because yeah how they how they write Cass, uh, Cassandra's character and then uh just the way they can visualize her is is a I think it's really great not only for the character but for us as the audience to kind of almost experience it along with her 
Right, because if those effects weren't there, just yeah. going, like, and, and if you just had to listen to what she's saying and muttering, mm-hmm. it's kind of goofy. Yeah. And, and it's like, but, like, the visuals help to sort of distract you from exactly, you know, you hear it, but you're kind of, like, looking at the visuals, too, when you kind of get you know, the disorientation and everything that she's going through as well. And so it's not, you know, it, it, it makes the whole thing work. And I don't think it would have if they had just had her muttering and just talking about her. <laughs> and, and Lindy Booth does a really good job of, of not making it like too over the top, but you, you really believe, you know, what she's experiencing, like the, the rapid, like going from like flowers and colors to numbers and everything. Like it's interesting how, uh, Cassandra's character is both like the most mathematically uh, proficient, but also the one most open to magic. Mm-hmm. So it's well because her parents never let her do anything. With that's true. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, uh, you know, the thing where she was always pushed to doing academia, and, and so she never got to do anything fun. Yeah, she's, she's one of those characters. So yeah. the, the Santa episode uh, is is one of her best. <laughs> Just she's like Santa's real. <laughs> Uh, Alright, so, so so the idea of making Bruce Campbell a Santa, whoever mm-hmm. had that idea, should be given, like, millions of dollars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, who should play Santa? Hmm, let's see. Bruce Campbell, yes. And the fact that he insists on talking in the third person <laughs> yeah. the entire episode, Santa likes this. Santa thinks <laughs> that you're experiencing a childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I like that they, so with this whole idea of like magic being reintroduced into the world again, at least wild magic that's unchecked and everything, uh, that Santa is the embodiment of all Santa legends, uh, that it's not just the guy with the beard and everything and the reindeer. It's just a dude who embodies all these aspects of Santa and can take them on whenever he needs to. I, I find that really fascinating, actually. He became Odin at one point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because apparently Odin is the origin of the Santa myth. Woohoo! <laughs> but it was just great watching, like, Bruce Campbell get to, like, be Bruce Campbell, essentially. Because how can you not enjoy him in anything? I mean... I, well, it, it, it's, in fact, I didn't know that John Larroquette was going to be in the show, but I had seen something about this show called The Librarians and that Bruce Campbell was in it, and I thought he was going to be a regular. Oh, that the whole reason I went back and saw The Librarians movies and was going to watch this TV show was because I thought Bruce Campbell was a regular on the <laughs> show, and I was like, well, Bruce Campbell's in it, I'm going to watch. Of course. <laughs> and thankfully, I've enjoyed it, you know, on its own. And so, you know, it, it's, it's perfectly fine to me, you know, how it is. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, P is the whole reason I'm watching the library. <laughs> it's like, I came for the Bruce Campbell, I stayed for everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it... I, those where they fit the magic uh, into things is always kind of the interesting part of, of the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how they try to incorporate it into like this real life world sort of um and, and then kind of twist it a little bit it has a like with the, the and the rule of three morgan lefay and using the rule of three via an app uh you know it's just these like really interesting ways to get it uh, involved in the plot and then to also see how the characters react to it as well yeah i uh... I, I was laughing earlier because as soon as you said the way that they throw this magical stuff into the world, I had a flashback to the Fables one where, Jud- where Jenkins is writing all the different magical items that could be on the blackboard. 
And then he's like crossing them off or whatever, and he's like, yeah, it's not the genie's lamp. And they're like, why isn't it the genie's lamp? And he's like, it's never the genie's lamp. Oh, I love that house <laughs> reference. <laughs> I just lost it. There is some, like... You know means if there's going to be a second season, the genie's lamp is going to turn off. Oh, my so. God, I hope so. <laughs> just so they can do, like, well, this time it was the genie's lamp. <laughs> such thing as UFOs, like that when especially like in shows like this that are very genre oriented where it's like we're living we're basically in this fantasy world but god forbid aliens existed like someone's always a naysayer about something <laughs> i just find that endlessly charming i don't know why well the fact that like jenkins is up on pop music too is another thing that i think is hilarious and like everybody like looks at him and he's like <laughs> jenkins has like john larquette because he's john larquette just delivers some of the best lines in the entire show, like I love that um, that whole speech about the uh, vending machine. Yes, it, it is so. It's quite possibly one of my favorite little monologues, you know, ever. <laughs> I just want that on a constant loop. <laughs> I might even attach this to the podcast when I'm done. Oh yeah, that and and, and and it's like like the apple of discord's a great example. This thing that makes you like an evil version of yourself, right? <laughs> but Ezekiel Jones gets it and he's exactly the same and their their explanation is well he's already the evil version of himself and I'm like he's not the way he's the, if he was a more sinister character, mm-hmm. they could have gotten away with that. But he's a little honestly, too lighthearted, yeah. Yeah, he's a little too lighthearted where it's like okay, all the yeah, he does like steal the odd thing when he's got time or whatever but like it's never something that like that he can't control like when they're doing something important or whatever he doesn't like just run off to steal stuff yeah it's 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 very much of a of a tell don't show kind of thing they're like yeah ezekiel's kind of is this thief and like and that's the worst like but why like he doesn't seem to want to hurt anyone he just wants to steal things so how is he really the worst version of himself i mean he could probably be a lot more sinister with that apple i mean cassandra went full-blown supervillain oh i can overload all these nuclear reactors and kill millions look and and that was the thing that i mean because they set it up that Cassandra betrayed them in the in the pilot, and that's a thing that sort of follows through most episodes, especially when they want to bring up the fact that Jacob doesn't um, trust her, which it's just, as much as I ship them, it's just a weird thing for them to bring up when they do, because I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but the episodes actually aired out of order. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, because that's why we got two episodes in a row of Ezekiel being, like, uh, you know, unharmed by things that are supposed to make you a villain or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so TNT did not air them in the correct order, because I think uh, Heart of Darkness, which is the one with the house, um, that's supposed to air way, uh, I think, a few earlier, because that touches on on things that are brought up in the pilot more than, it you know, it should have at that point. 
so yeah, the the reordering I think messed up the flow of the season and also how we're supposed to feel about the characters because they would change a little bit depending on which episode it was. Okay, that makes sense because I did wonder about that. I was like, why so late in the season is Jake bringing that up again about Cassandra? I'm like, you've done all these adventures together. and, and But yeah, if it's out of order, that makes perfect sense yeah and the whole setup of like jake is is the one that can really help cassandra through her her basically spells of uh getting caught up in the numbers or whatever it's like that's like prime example of, of of a relationship starting between them and it and it starts from a really interesting place but to to bring it up like so late because of the reordering you're just like are are haven't they already discussed this <laughs> like is there a place where they show? Because, I mean, Wikipedia doesn't show, uh, and I know that that's the fount of all knowledge, but mm. um, uh, it doesn't show the correct order. Do you know of somewhere that shows the correct order of I, the episodes? I think it's it's either Dean Devlin or John Rogers, um, who I think is one of the pro- executive producers or whatever, uh, their blog, they talk about the reordering. Uh, okay. Is where I heard it. I I can't tell you. I can't say off the top of my head what it's called, but I do know that there is a list of how they're supposed to have aired. Um, okay. So yeah, if you if you find the blogs of the creators, they usually and they also do like um, a Q and A uh, after the episodes aired. So people have asked questions about stuff, and uh, apparently they got picked up. The show got picked up very quickly. Um, not so much after the pilot was filmed, but once the pilot like aired and was shown and every to the TNT people, they're like, okay, we want ten episodes now. So they already had <laughs> character stuff figured out a little bit before the actors were even cast so and they adjusted accordingly where they could but there's like this whole like triangle thing or like rhombus i don't know of like the relationships between the characters like things they wanted to do and all that kind of stuff so it's it if if the season feels rushed it was because tnt rushed it so much to be made as well props for going with rhombus instead of square yeah (laughs) (laughs) I wondered why they kept on doing so many double episodes, because when I originally saw the schedule for the season, it was going to go all the way to February, and then all of a sudden they did all these double episodes, and I wasn't sure if that meant that TNT wasn't satisfied with the show, so they were just rushing it out to complete it, Mm -hmm. or if they were, I mean, do you have any, I mean, from their blogs, did they say anything about, you know, those decisions? Um, From what I can tell, Dean Devlin uh, said that the, the the doubling up, especially with the, the finale, was intentional. Like, they were... TNT was planning to do it from the beginning, so I don't know. Uh, I, it doesn't... I can't really glean anything from their, uh, their blogs that this was not what they wanted. So I guess they were just going with whatever TNT was going to do with it. Right, because they also doubled up the rule of three in Heart of Darkness, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. There's nothing about those episodes that really is, like, one leads to the other or anything. Maybe maybe TNT just really wanted to get through it so they could get to something else. Right, well, that's what I was wondering. Is like, oh, is it this bad that they just wanted to just turn through it? I kind of liked it. Well, and uh, (laughs) the ratings were fairly consistent, too. I mean, because it's kind of what I what I like about uh, the Wikipedia page for it is that they do show you the views. And so it, it held pretty consistently. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that right now too. Yeah. So yeah, that's, so, I mean, that's to get about like average, like three and a half million viewers, pretty much. Uh, I mean, that's, that's saying something for a cable network channel. <laughs> so hopefully there's a second season. Cause there's, there's a lot of stuff that they kind of leave like un, untended to. Uh-huh. Like, like the genie's lamp. The genie's lamp. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because I would really like more of a, I mean, because the way um, uh, Lancelot is basically dealt with is so, I mean, again, it's so quick. Like, things happen so quickly because they need to get, like, all this stuff wrapped up. Um, like, with the library coming back, has barely any fanfare. Uh, you know, Galahad and, and Lancelot and everything. And then you know that Cassandra's tumor would be a huge ticking time bomb that there would just be, like, waiting to, like, okay, when's the episode that we do the 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 uh, tumor's gonna burst or whatever? Well, that, the weird thing to, uh, to me, and my wife and I talked about this when we watched it, is the, 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 the Heart of Darkness episode, that which which was a neat reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw the ha- well, it was, it was unfortunate that they had Jenkins explaining about the various houses and then, like, mm. cut right to the little house within the house. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Because <laughs> I kind of, like, glommed onto that right away. But at the same time, once they figure out that the, the house is the, the helpful house and, you know, you can make wishes in it or whatever, it's <laughs> like, why didn't Cassandra just be like, hey, house, I got this brain grape, you know, <laughs> this. I mean, it can make that one girl immortal. You know, she lived for a hundred some odd years without aging. I assume it can extract the brain grape, but she never did that. Yeah. It it was just kind of weird. It feels like there's going to, like, there would be some magical item cure at some point down the line where, I mean, it would obviously get really, like, terrible for her in, like, an episode. And then she would either be cured by the end of it or it would be, like, a two-part or something like that. Um, Because that just... It feels like when you bring something like that up and it's the impetus behind her initial betrayal in the beginning, even though it does feel like it comes out of nowhere, <laughs> um, it it just, it's going to be one of those things that if they came back for a second season, I'd be really disappointed if they didn't touch on it or, you know, build up to something, you know, with it. Well, yeah, my whole problem with that part was just that in this case, there was a magical place Mm -hmm. that there was no negative consequences for her to just you know like in the first one the whole dilemma was you know i'm betraying my friends yeah you know and and i shouldn't do this and and then it turned out they were going to backstab her anyway the serpent brotherhood but um but in heart (laughs) of darkness there once once the house became the helpful house it was like why don't you just you know there's nothing bad there's no bad side to doing this just wish the brain grape out so that and and to me especially after she had been a character that had gone to the point that she had almost gone to it was like Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you be thinking about this, Cassandra? You know, yeah, <laughs> you're a smart girl. <laughs> I think I think that's where like it feels like the the writing like they needed another pass at some things because it's just like you're trying to fit so much plot into one episode and so much like oh look at this cool thing or whatever and then we have to explain it and do the research and but then still have character development. It's like okay, guys, you need to you need to whittle it down a little bit here if you want us to care about these people. Yeah, I, I, you had asked me before about a favorite episode, mm-hmm. and I think my favorite, I'm going to go with The Rule of Three. Oh, that is a good one, yeah. Because the whole, I mean, everything about it, like the whole science fair aspect of it, Neve just wants to see the volcano, you know? <laughs> She gets her volcano, damn it. I know, <laughs> but you know, it's the most, you know, it's the most, uh, uh, what's the tropish you know, a uh, uh, thing that you can do at a science fair. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knows about the the volcano. You know, <laughs> and uh, and that's fun. And just the whole idea of how competitive you know it is with kids when they're really you know mm-hmm. working hard on this kind of academia and everything. The glee that Cassandra has in that environment, and then the whole idea of it leads back to Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, um, <laughs> so good. I, I, I just, everything about it, and then again, John Larroquette bringing another tour de force performance 
when she wanders into the library and at first you think she's just some lady mm-hmm. and you're like oh god how are they going to handle this then finding out when she's like oh well this makes sense now and she's completely unfazed by it being the library and everything <laughs> and then um, you know Jenkins whole re- reaction to it it's like wow you know like there was so much awesome stuff and then when Eve can temporarily you know actually hurt her yeah that was a fun scene when she makes a wish like that's her wish is to to be able to like kick morgan lefay's ass it's like that is why i love this character and those are the things like you you feel like you could just bring in more people from arthurian legend and everything like there's there's so much potential for this series um that i really do hope that a second season comes along because like you guys can do so much more like uh, I actually really like the Fable uh, episode. The, the... I, I was going to bring that up, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but the one thing I was going to say is, um, you think about how popular Once Upon a Time is, but this can go even beyond that. Oh, it, yeah. Anything. But, but, yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted you about the Fables thing. But... Oh, the, the Fables is fun just because, uh, I mean, uh, it's mostly for me the character stuff, like the them taking on the tropes, the archetypes and everything. Yeah. Because <laughs> when uh, that look that Christian Kane has when Jake is basically becoming the huntsman, it's just he's just got an owl on his arm. <laughs> it's like you have a bird. Like it's just cut back, and he's got a bird. I love, I love that kind of silliness. Um, but it also like is part of the story. Like Cassandra slowly turning into Prince Charming, <laughs> and, and then rewriting the story at the end. Oh like... yeah. Maybe they're ninjas, too. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe the Huntsman's a robot. <laughs> I love it because Eve, who is, who is slowly transitioning into the, the princess archetype, is like then fighting you know, ninjas with heels on. She's like, why am I in heels? That's so impractical. <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> and, and that was another one with a great guest star with uh, Renee. I'm going to butcher his name, but Odo from DS9. Odo, yeah. Aubergine. Yeah, Aubergine. Is that? I don't that, know. That would I don't be my guess. <laughs> that would be my guess. I've never heard it pronounced correctly, but <laughs> no, he makes a uh, he makes for a great like uh, villain who you kind of suspected because it's him, um, but at the same time you could have you could have seen him going the way of a sympathetic character who's a red herring, mm-hmm. but nope, he turned out to be evil. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> you kids in your library. <laughs> that's another thing I like. That's a running gag of you know, them trying to come up with like an explanation for why they're there, and they keep on defaulting to where library. Yeah, they're trying to think of something better. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they reference that like the, that's what the supernatural guys do. Uh, they, they always come up with some other alias or whatever, and uh-huh. every time it's just Jake going, "We're the librarians." <laughs> <laughs> And I love at the end of Fables because they, they kind of make fun of that too when the sheriff and his daughter are watching them walk away like into the sunset kind of thing. And he's and she's like, who are those people, Daddy? And she's like, he's all, they're librarians, sweetie. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and the father's lunch is like, you know, when you say it out loud, no, it doesn't. <laughs> like, the thing that I didn't like about that episode is I get that the, the the whole Ezekiel Jones, he's the lovable rogue, so it's the trope. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always going to get out of trouble. And I like that they actually referenced it in the episode. But what he did at the end with flicking the coin, I don't get, and they never really explained. He flicked the coin, mm-hmm. somehow that hit, um, uh, you know, the 
Renee Aubergeois' character, and then he was paused in time, and I didn't get what that was a reference to, or, or what that how that worked, or anything, and I would have liked, for, for that to be the ending, I wanted a little more explanation to it. Yeah, I, I don't know, yeah, the, the ending of that was, it like, the whole you know, hand the book over to the kid thing, and she just automatically knows what to do. It, it again, right. all very rushed because, like, well, we gotta wrap this up, and yeah, how are we gonna like, do that? Shouldn't she be leeching life force out of somebody when she starts writing? The exactly. Story? <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's, yeah, within each episode, there's like these really golden things, and then it's just like, but that ending is kind of rushed. <laughs> Yeah, and even at the end, in the la- I mean, the last episode, when Flynn uses that book, and mm-hmm. it's like, how do you not realize, Flynn, that there's got to be, like, a death or a sacrifice or something? The book sucks people's lives out. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it just seemed weird to me that Flynn was like, oh, we just need to put these items together. And I'm like, yeah, but you forgot the whole, like, sucking life out thing, which, you know, <laughs> then Duloc, at least they don't have you linger on it too long, because then Duloc shows up and does actually have to kill somebody. And that's the weird the thing, one. too. Like, Duloc has a way of showing up at very strange times in very weird ways. <laughs> <laughs> like, even in the finale, like, he just happens to be in the, um, was it the mummy's crypt or something like that, yeah. mummy's tomb? It's, it's like, the sarcophagus. yeah, the sarcophagus, that thing. Um, it's like, okay, well, I, mean, I know you needed to get him there, but Jesus Christ, was there, couldn't there have well, been? <laughs> I, I have to assume that somehow he gave them whatever clues that they followed to get the thing. Because mm-hmm. you know, we, we enter on the, the end of their, the, whatever adventure that was, where they're actually getting the sarcophagus. Oh, okay. That's where the episode opens. Exactly. So I, I'm guessing that he must have given them something you know, to, to lead them to it. Oh, um, that's right, because Flynn says, like, he got Jenkins' note about the the tomb, and then he then he was just like, well, I didn't send you that thing, and that's when Duloc shows up. So, okay, there is actually an explanation for how he gets in there. <laughs> it just, for me, like, when I was watching it, it just felt like he just shows up. He's like, ha-ha, I've come into the annex. <laughs> like, well, it's not exactly, like, a secret where it is. Like, he visited it earlier in the same season where they, you know, where the one opening is that goes into Oregon. Oh, which, yeah, exactly. How about random locations there? It's the well, in Oregon. And that's the thing, because what, uh, did you ever watch Leverage? The, well, I, I saw, like, the first episode, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't like speak to me so yeah, i do keep intending to watch more because mm-hmm. i i hate to judge something just on a pilot but i didn't really care for the pilot all that much yeah it, it gets better it's i mean it's a fun fairly lighthearted show as well about con artists so you know uh, also christian kane kicking ass uh the yeah because the thing about leverage is at one point they just kind of stopped with the whole like uh Portland, Oregon, as whatever city we need it to be, and they just started, fil- you know, saying they're in Portland. Um, and it's the same with this show; they're they're filming in Oregon, and so they're like, let's just like cut the crap and just say we're in Oregon. That's where the annex is. <laughs> so the, uh, the other one that I thought had a weird ending was mm-hmm. the Heart of Darkness, where there's the scene where the where the killer is stalking Cassandra. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, there's two places you could be. And she checks both places, and Cassandra's not there. Then she's confused. Then suddenly Cassandra's behind her. Yeah. No explanation. Where was Cassandra? Because, (laughs) you know... Hiding behind the curtain. (laughs) uh, Right. I... I, I, you know, again, I was expecting something more clever or to actually see, like, what was done. But instead it was just like, 
aha, Deus Ex Machina. Sandro <laughs> was right there. Well, and <laughs> I, I, I I felt the same way about in the City of Light, so the the penultimate episode. It's just like it's it almost feels like the one the the one male character that they brought in uh, to be who who kind of goes evil all of a sudden. They just needed him there so that someone would be some kind of an obstacle at one point, and and even then is like because he locks. Uh, Cassandra in the 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 dam's like control room or whatever after destroying this thing, yeah. And, and then it's like they suddenly know where she is to come and get her out. And it's like, why was this character even there? He doesn't do anything except go evil a little bit, sort of. Um, so that they have a reason to kill off the woman so that Jake can be upset and then go out and you know it's it's all like plot necessity instead of character development kind of thing. Right. Uh, it would have actually made more sense if the 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 female guest star, the 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 archivist, too, which it it was hurting my ears every time they mispronounced archivist. <laughs> I'm the archivist. No. I I, I know. <laughs> it's like, Stop it! Ah, it burns. I feel the same way when just about anyone in modern television or movies pronounces Rachel Ghoul. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Raz Al Ghul. I'll I'll even go with like Raz, like sometimes because it has been said different ways. But yeah, Raish is usually like the uh, the definitive. But but yeah, every time they were just like, I'm gonna go to the archivist. Like, (laughs) I'm wondering if that's how they think. Like a like a redneck, you know, would pronounce you know southern sort of southern, you know, Mm -hmm. archivist, you know. But (laughs) I don't think I don't think that that's even like a southern or you know rural country kind of accent. No, it's. I mean, I've heard it from just right, you know, whatever. It's. I mean, I would have said archivist before until I went through the program at the school I went to. So it it was much more of a my uh, program director having to drill it into our head that this is how archivist is said. <laughs> but I knew that if I ever showed that to him, he'd be like, ah, I'm cringing. Uh, but yeah, I, I felt like she would have made a better character to like go evil, uh, you know, because they set it up more along those lines for her. Uh, instead of random dude who just needs to be a villain, sort of, for right now. <laughs> well, they wanted him to have his moment with her at the end, where he's yeah. just cradling her. And, they still know. could have done that if she kind of went evil, because they did yeah. share a connection, so. Um, and there's always been kind of like a back and forth between a hero type and a villainess type, so it's it wouldn't have been out of the question for that to happen. Yeah, no, I... Just say no, missed I opportunity. <laughs> I want to tell the the people who do the librarians how to do their job. So <laughs> I feel it's my right as a viewer. <laughs> but see, that's another fun thing about the show, though, is you know after the show had done so much in the realm of like fantasy to go into like Nicola, you know, Nikola Tesla, who mm-hmm. is one of the. He almost has legend, you know, he's a modern figure that yes. kind of has, you know, a sort of mythology that's being built up around him. And even with the beginning with the red herring on UFOs, mm-hmm. where you think that we're going <laughs> to deal with aliens. And I, I kind of like the show is going into every kind of fictional, you know, mm-hmm. reality and, and, and touching on all the different mythologies that we have. In the world. I mean, it's not going to be long if this show continues where we're going to have like superheroes, you oh know, God. in an episode or, you know, any other kind of... <laughs> Or Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Oh my god. (laughs) This was the axe that George Washington used to chop down the cherry trees. Like, you do realize that was mid. Nope, cherry tree. (laughs) 
No, that was actually the real story, and the other one's a cover. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like that's that is like the the greatest thing about this show is that nothing is really off limits. Like you can do fantasy genre, you can do a bit more science fictiony, um, you can go pretty much anywhere as long as you make it sort of like a a coherent plot, <laughs> and make and as long as you have Jenkins there to explain it, I think you're going to be okay. <laughs> I'm just now having a vision now, like all the founding fathers, because you know, they were all part of like the Illuminati and secret societies and stuff, and they're, like, still alive. Oh, my God, I like would love that. They're, like, a secret guiding the world or something. <laughs> <laughs> ben Franklin and George Washington and Jefferson. Hey, it would be like that Samuel Adams uh, thing that they were just doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's now a superhero, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> According to the History Channel and Samuel Adams' beer. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's... It's really, like, something that, uh, like, we both want it to kind of keep going because there's just so much potential there. Just, like, make more. I don't care what it takes. Just do it. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it's really, if they, if, I mean, now that I know that the season was rushed, mm-hmm. that helps to explain the things that I didn't like, which, let's be fair, I enjoyed myself all ten episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so even though there were things about a lot of the episodes that I could say, oh, well, that doesn't work or you know uh, as nerds we do pick things apart no matter what (laughs) right um you know it it didn't detract from me enjoying the episode overall so Mm -hmm. i mean to have a 10 out of 10 success rate yeah you know it's pretty good because most shows and okay they had a leg up because they had the movies to sort of stand on but most shows the pilot i'm not a fan of a lot of pilots even shows that I love, like Arrow, mm-hmm. like I did not like that pilot episode of Arrow at all. Oh, um, really? And it was like I had to get two or three episodes in before the show like kind of hit for me, and I was like, "Oh, this is something that I'm going to follow." But yeah, uh, you know, um, so so yeah. I mean, it's this this show did a good job, and um, I'm hoping that with Falling Skies ending, that they do get another season, they'll get more episodes, and they'll have more time to plan it. Yeah, because this I I like this model of making TV shows. It's like the the short season, very much like the British model, um, where you get those very set like 10, 13 episodes, maybe sometimes six. You you never know, but it also like gives you that ability to tell like really solid stories. Hopefully, um, in those ten episodes, because you know sometimes when you have twenty six or twenty two or whatever you just get kind of lost. It gets, it's meandering and, you know, whatever. Like, you can't always stay on point. Um, With these episodes, at least we get kind of an explanation how every artifact that they kind of find is leading towards the the ultimate artifact of the Loom of Fate. Um, And that Jenkins was essentially the one kind of sending them towards it. (laughs) And so those things, yeah, I'll I'll give them that. and, And I... Like you said, I totally enjoyed these episodes, even if there was were things in there that was like, I don't know how I feel about the ending or this thing. But overall, it's like, it's fun. It's just like fun TV that you can just sit back and watch and just be like, I'm going to be entertained for an hour. <laughs> well, and, and they did the thing that you need to do, and it, which is to make you love the characters. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, I like all the characters on the show, even though, like I said, Ezekiel Jones, just the way that the, the plot incorporates him sometimes can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. I like his character. I like the actor who's playing him. Uh, I like everything about him. And that's, and that's key. Yeah. Because when you don't like the characters or you're not as invested in the characters and the plot has to be 
100% solid or there's no interest. So, exactly. um, yeah, I, I, I can give a lot, I can give a lot of um, leeway to, to a show like this where it's just so fun. And yeah, especially with Ezekiel's character, like, um, he was probably the most underutilized in terms of uh, his skills and just as a character in general. I mean, great for like a one-liner or something like that, but it feels like there's just more you can tap into with him because like in the, in the, was it, oh, in the City of Light, when he's he's outraged that they're stealing people's bodies, it's like for a thief, you know. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting, like where he like where they decided to make his line be drawn. He's just like, I steal stuff, but this is just going too far. <laughs> so I thought that that was really interesting, but it was just done so late in the game that there was really nowhere to take that uh, unless you had more episodes. Which again, hopefully season two. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, like, even with Cassandra, like, the tumor, like, her, um, basically proclivity for maybe magic, like, she could end up wielding it at some point, Uh, that would be interesting, and Jake, like, could we actually, like, see his family and all that kind of stuff, and... That's that's one thing I didn't touch on. Jake, I I really like the idea of someone, because this is another thing we can all identify with, of, like, hiding who you really are. Oh, yeah. And, like, the whole idea that, you know, his whole life he's been so smart, but because he's around, you know, basically, you know, I mean, country, you know, redneck types who who don't see that as, you know, being, like, a good thing, you know, he's sort of had to hide his whole whole true self, basically, and pretend that he's just another bar-loving, you know, country, you know, guy, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, gets into fights and whatnot, and, um, and and I like that aspect of him, you know. Whereas if he had just been like the character who he appears to be on the outside, he would not be anywhere near as interesting. Yeah, but and- because. He has that depth, and the whole fact that he's had to hide it to me is just really interesting. So, an episode where he has to, like, actually explain to his relatives what he does, mm-hmm. if there's some weirdness going on, the librarian show up, like, in his hometown or whatever. Oh, that would be amazing. And that, that would be great, because I would like to see something like that, because I think that's something that a lot of us can identify with, at least in some aspect. Something that we felt like we'd have to hide mm-hmm. from, from people, you know, so I, I like that. And, and that's, you know, they bring it up a little bit in the, uh, uh, actually a lot in the rule of three when he talks to the one kid and is basically like he quotes byron to him and he's just like i will always hid myself and blah you know all that stuff him and cassandra both having those one-on-ones with the kids is again it's like delving into their characters in a way that's like we need more exploration of this (laughs) i was also surprised to see sin from arrow on rule of three i know (laughs) like wait a minute you're on the wrong show why are you on arrow (laughs) you're supposed to be with black canary right now (laughs) oh wait she's dead But, uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 I think they've done a great job with guest stars, too. Oh, my God, yeah. So many people that it's, like, a recognizable and it's fun to just have them in a, in a one-off episode. Well, especially if you're fairly, like, genre-savvy. Uh, so, like, Bruce Campbell shows up or Trisha Helfer in the, in the third episode with the, the Minotaur and the Labyrinth and everything. And, uh, um, and then Renee uh, uh, Aubergenois. <laughs> <laughs> trying to read it and make it sound I natural. I French, I'm just guessing. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, all the, a lot of their guest stars are very, like, genre-oriented uh, character actors. So, for, like, people like you and me who are just, like, so in tune with that, it's like, oh my god, it's that guy! <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that would be also cool, like, um, you know, 
getting more guest stars because and also Jonathan Frakes usually shows up in something he directs and he directed a few of these episodes and it's like come on bring in number one right. <laughs> he could be in the UFO episode oh right? my god <laughs> oh okay so we're at a little bit over an hour uh, Nathan so happy that we could do this I, I really love yes. talking about the librarians Thank you for having me on my on your show and, uh, and letting me talk about the librarians. It's been a ton of fun. We always have to do like the geek out moment. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, I should have said this at the top. I'll probably just mention it in the, the opening of the show, but because uh, we know each other through Sean Castic, through Sean Rosado's uh, podcast that you are like the executive producer of practically. <laughs> and Sean likes to tell me that to make me feel better. Ah, yes. <laughs> Just put that on your business cards. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely the, the editor of Sean Castic, but yeah. uh, I am sometimes, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a question of whether or not I can get the audio files from Sean, whether or not I can do any editing. <laughs> well, we finally got the Wonder Woman, one of the Wonder Woman episodes out, so that's yes. good. <laughs> did you listen to it again, or? I, or... I did, yeah, I went back to it, because, it, I mean, it's been a while since we actually recorded it, so. <laughs> did, did you hear that? Oh, it was great. Oh, that, was, oh, that theme song is so awesome. I was hoping you would appreciate it. Wonder Woman! All the world's waiting for you. But yeah, uh, for those out there who haven't listened to it, uh, you can go and download the latest episode of Sean Castic, which is, um, we talk about the first volume of the New 52 Wonder Woman run, which is Blood, and uh, we'll eventually uh, have the second one posted, which is about Guts, the second volume. Uh, and, and Nathan, uh, where can people find you online uh, as, we're, as we're wrapping this up? <laughs> right. Um, you can find me on Twitter as underscore blogger underscore who. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on my blog, which is blogger underscore who dot live journal dot com. <laughs> <laughs> blogger underscore who was taken on Twitter, unfortunately. Really? That <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yes, jerk. Ah. But, uh, yeah, um. And I'm occasionally on the uh, Revolution SF podcast as well, and I've been doing reviews for ESO Podcast, uh, or the Earth Station One Network on their website, ESOPodcast.com. Sweet. And uh, you're you're often a regular contributor to Sean Castic. Uh, we've been on a yes. couple of podcasts together, so and that's yes. how we know each other. Yeah, from the Doctor Who, The Reckoning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When you called it that, I was like, oh, that's a good title for it. Isn't it? Just, come on. <laughs> that's how all Doctor Who episodes should be entitled. The Reckoning. Ragnarok. It's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> um, and uh, as always, you guys can find me at, at darling underscore Sammy, uh, maniacalgeek.com, uh, as well as uh, SoundCloud, where the, you're listening probably to this podcast, if not on the website. Uh, and yeah, so uh, Nathan, once again, thank you for coming on, and hopefully uh, we'll be back for something else. We'll, we'll get on that Burn Notice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, how far did you watch on it? Not very. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not sure that'll be much of a podcast then, but we'll, we'll find something, because I'd love to be back. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so uh, thank you once again, Nathan, and to all of you listening, bye everybody! Bye.